This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Our guest this week, to me, has had a remarkable and diverse career uh, from Congress. And when I say Congress, I don't mean actually serving in Congress because he's too smart to do that. But <laughs> working on Capitol Hill to computers from capital markets to charity, he was a fabulously successful businessman who chose a different path. He chose to honor a request from former First Lady Nancy Reagan, to head the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. So no matter what your success in life, uh, there are certain things out of our control. Um, so even amidst all the success, uh, John also survived a serious and challenging uh, form of cancer. I met him a couple of weeks ago at the Reagan Library, which uh, is a magnificent place full of beauty and history, and it was extremely well-run. The beauty that I saw when I visited two weeks ago stands in stark, incredibly stark contrast to the exhibit the library will be hosting. Beginning March 24th, the Reagan Library will host Auschwitz. Not long ago, not far away. And there are few words that conjure feelings of despair and agony and grief and shock, like the word Auschwitz. And it does seem like a long time ago, except it was not. It was within my parents' lifetime. And it does, to some of us, seem far away, except it is not. It was not. Germany is now a member of NATO and a U.S. ally. So with that, let us welcome Mr. John Highbush. John, how are you? Just terrific. Thanks so much, Trey. It's, it's absolutely wonderful to be with you. All right. And we'll get right into it. Tell me why the Reagan Library thought it was important to host this exhibit and maybe even with more specificity. Why now? You bet. Um, you know, for those who have not been to the Reagan Library, and I invite everyone within the sound of our voices to do so. Um, it's up on a hilltop, shining city on a hill, really, uh, in Simi Valley, California. The president and Mrs. Reagan are buried there, uh, facing west towards the Pacific, per his wishes. Um, and it is a magnificent, very, very large place. Uh, hundreds of thousands of square feet of um, exhibitry and museum and um, bookstore and uh, outdoor exhibits and you name it. It's, it's, it's immense. And of course, it, it tells the life 
of the life of Ronald and Nancy Reagan, the life and times of Ronald Reagan. And um, it's an all-day affair. Uh, and one thing that uh, I became concerned with when Mrs. Reagan first asked me to come to the library was that, like any United States president, even the greatest of United States presidents, as time marches forward, um, they tend to if uh, they tend to recede into the history books. You know, they become less and less relevant for the present day that they served in. And while a president like Ronald Reagan, as great as he was, is always going to be counted um, as uh, you know a favorite president, uh, one of our very best. Um, you know, it's, we're now, you know, four decades, um, hitting four decades past the time when he was in the White House. And um, we made a decision several years ago um, that we would be wise if we decided to set aside a substantial amount of space. We invested in building some buildings where we house special exhibits, and these exhibits we rotate um, in and out of the library about every five or six months. They give an opportunity for a visitor to come and learn about President Reagan, our 40th president, in that museum. But they also provide space for us to host cultural exhibits, uh, popular exhibits, historical exhibits um, that help to teach Americans about um, important moments in time for this world, for our nation, may uh, uh, perhaps might be about popular culture. We, you know, for example, we've had exhibits there, special exhibits we've rotated in on everything from the discovery of the Titanic to the to, uh, treasures of the Vatican. Uh, Genghis Khan, um, you know, you name it. And what that has done is it has allowed visitors another reason to come to the Reagan Library. So we may have, we, I think we probably trade get an additional 100 to 150,000 people per year that come to the Reagan Library um, to see one of these popular exhibits. And guess what? In the process, they may not have come to learn about Ronald Reagan, but now they do because they not only have the chance to visit the special exhibit they're there for, but in the process, they learn about Ronald Reagan through the Reagan Museum. So it helps to expand the group of people that, um, you know, that 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 in, enjoy learning about Ronald Reagan and um, this particular special exhibit. Uh, finally, now to the point of your question, is about Auschwitz, and I I would have to say um, I don't know that we have ever had a special exhibit at the Reagan Library as important as this one. Um, as I've said, hundreds of thousands of people come to see these exhibits. This is going to be an example where hundreds of thousands of people come and they learn about. A moment in history, as you've said, not long ago, not too far away, that this world can never afford to repeat. And it is one of those exhibits that is going to take your breath away because when you really understand 
what it's uh, illustrating right before your very eyes is that is that mankind has a way of being inhuman to man if we're not careful. And, um, you know, Auschwitz, just one of dozens of concentration camps spread throughout Europe during the time of World War II, but also one of the most notorious uh, millions and millions of people lost in this Holocaust and a great, great many of them uh, at the Auschwitz camp. This exhibit is essentially a recreation of the Auschwitz camp, and it puts you in time, in place, in Auschwitz, in Poland, to see the, the you know one of the largest mass killings in the history of mankind. And we really think it's important to remind people that um, mankind is capable of this if we're not careful. Uh, and um, uh, I, we we just hope so many school kids go through the here, uh, go through this exhibit. Uh, because to them, something called the Holocaust is just a thing that they read about. It's not something that they lived alongside of. And we hope that they learn from it, just like everyone who comes learns from it. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You know, Joe, my wife and I went to Israel this summer. It was largely, um, you know, I did it for her. I wanted her to have a a spiritual journey of sorts, uh, see the places that she's read about since she was a child. But we also toured the World Holocaust Remembrance Museum, um, and it was um, among the most powerful, jarring experiences of my life. And we, to your point, we think, how could that ever happen? How could the world ever let that happen? How could someone rise to power on the promise of exterminating a group of people. But it's been within my parents' lifetime. I mean, most of my parents are still with us. And I think, I mean, they're in their 80s now, but I think you were born while this was going on. So, yes, I'm sure to most of us, how in the world could that ever happen? Except it did. And it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, right in our lifetimes. Um, I, you know, as you mentioned, Trey, I um, had the opportunity to serve on Capitol Hill during the all eight years of the Reagan years. In fact, I had the chance I was an intern on my very first day on the job. And I got to uh, run over to the west front of the U.S. Capitol and watch President Reagan um, be inaugurated. And um, the Reagan years were extremely important to me. As a result, he's the one that essentially convinced me to go into public service in the first place. Well, it was during Reagan's presidency, I believe it was 1987, um, or thereabouts, that he was present for the laying of the cornerstone 
of the famed Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. This is how important it was to Reagan, because you you remember now, uh, Ronald Reagan, while he did not serve in combat, um, he was in the United States Army, and one of his jobs in the film uh, unit was to edit and bring to uh, the world's attention uh, what the United States Army was discovering. Um, and uh, it, one day, films of our troops entering Auschwitz were brought to Ronald Reagan, and it impacted his life from that day forward. Um, and, um, you know, it's just another connecting point in history as, as to why we think it's important to have an exhibit like this at our 40th president's library. You know, I, I, I told you while I was out there that for the longest time, I thought Ronald Reagan was my older brother because <laughs> it, it was the only picture on my father's desk right. growing up. I mean, I, I got three sisters and a mom, and I'm sure he loved my three sisters and my mom and sometimes probably me, too. But it was Ronald Reagan and this this sunny, cheery optimism. Um, however, um, he also was capable of being extraordinarily firm. Um, I don't want to say angry because I was never around him, but I don't he was not the type I wouldn't imagine that would have to say something more than once it, it, that he would. Sunny, cheery disposition aside, um, he also um, was tough, uh, and I think people feared him. And I wonder what it would take for us to ensure that something like what we saw in World War II would never happen again. If, if it's a leadership, do we need a certain kind of leader? Is that something that we as the people control? I mean, there are, even today in politics, John, I don't want to talk about politics. I'd rather write my obituary than talk about politics. <laughs> but there are still these these elements that seem to thrive on the us versus them and looking for some group or uh, an enemy that we can uh, blame as opposed to maybe even looking at ourselves. Well put. Um, listen, listen, as an American, uh, I can never in my wildest dreams imagine that um, the hatred that rose to the level it did in World War II, um, uh, you know, and vis-a-vis -vis the, the whole German culture and the nationalist fervor and all those things that at one point in time in history uh, you know, drove um, mankind um, to make something like the Holocaust a reality. Um, you know, we'll in in our again in our wildest nightmares. I think never see something like that again in this world. I certainly hope not. But I I will say, you know, when you. Um, as we see in the present day where um, Americans are set uh, uh, against other Americans, we seem to be at each other's throats. There's almost hatred in the air over political differences. 
The subject of race uh, seems to come up in just about every conversation. Um, we're not going to go about murdering ourselves in, in a manner like this, but, but we are set against one another in the United States right now. Our culture is uh, very much um, at a boiling point. And uh, I, I, I often think now as I finish my time in politics, Congressman, that I, uh, if there's one thing I like to spend my time doing when I retire from the Reagan library, it is to try to help find a way to get Americans back on the same page, you know, to treat each other with kindness and respect and um, uh, and to, you know, remember at the end of the day, we all are Americans together um, and we do have a common purpose. But the, the worst of human nature is is what we saw in the Holocaust. And it's the kind of thing that every nation and every people need to guard against. Well, if you and I are in um, are in ceaseless search of something that can be unifying, I, I can think of few things that would be more unifying than uh, studying the Holocaust and Auschwitz and vowing to never let that happen again. I, I cannot imagine. I don't care what people's political orthodoxy is. You walk through, I'm sure through this exhibit, you read. Uh, the books on World War II, um, uh, which is a, a time period that I like to read about. You go to the museum in Israel and you just vow never again. Uh, and that could be unifying. So, you know, on the one hand, I was sitting there thinking, you know, when I was standing at the burial place for President and Mrs. Reagan, and you do look out and you can see the Pacific if you catch it on the right day, and then you look the other side and you see mountains because i remember telling your folks i those of us from south carolina we have mountains and we have the ocean but they're nowhere near each other uh, the, <laughs> the fact that you can see both and the beauty of that place and the sunny cheery optimism of president reagan in contrast to one of the darkest chapters in human history um, I hope people do for a thousand reasons um, go to the Reagan Library. Uh, before I let you go, though, I want to ask you, because you had a fabulously successful career and you could have kept doing that. Um, you could have you 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 could have kept on and in capital markets. You could have kept on with innovation. Um, he's a computer expert for those wondering, uh, among other things. But. Someone asked you to take a different path. Uh, how did you come to the Reagan Library? You know, I got my start in politics, Trey, um, again, during the Reagan years. And um, as you know, sometimes your, your, your moments when you're on Capitol Hill with all of the, oh, um, I always considered my time working in the House of Representatives as like a postgraduate education um, in in all things, um, because, as you know, the variety of issues that you have to struggle with, they force you to learn. And um, in my view, no matter whether you're in politics or nonprofit or industry, what have you, Every day you get up, life's about learning. And um, and so in my case, 
I started off in politics. I went into business and, and fortunately grabbed hold of a of a rocket ship called Gateway Computers. It was one of the uh, first uh, direct distributors of personal computers along with Dell, and it grew magnificently. And I was there from near the beginning. And uh, fortunately, I did very well financially. I, and uh, uh, in my 40s, I was trying to look around for what cause I could contribute to uh, after doing so well. And it just so happened that Mrs. Reagan heard that I was essentially bumming around on the beach uh, in California and looking for a place to land. And she called and asked if I would consider um, running Ronnie's libraries, what she said. For me, it's a labor of love. I, it's a way to give back. It's a way to say thank you to President Reagan for all that he's done for our nation. It was a way to say thank you to her. And frankly, you know, it's a it's a really big, complicated operation uh, that has hundreds of millions of dollars in endowment, and it welcomes millions of people a year. It's a lot of work, and I, I felt that um, when she called out for help, I was going to re respond, and that's what got me landed there. And it's I've never looked back and never regretted a moment. It's been the most the funnest stress I've ever had uh, and just a, a remarkably great, uh, great place to work. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question. It's none of my business. You're welcome to plead the fifth. You're welcome <laughs> to say that the connection's gone bad and you can't hear me anymore, but <laughs> I am fascinated obviously by decision-making uh, by how people make decisions. So, You've had so much success in um, really in every field in which you have ventured. Um, at some point, people do make the decision that it is time to go either do something else or go enjoy the fruits of your labor um, in a less stressful setting. How does John Highbush go about making decisions on you know, when to stay somewhere, when to um, say I'm ready for my next challenge? Oh, boy, that's a great question. And um, I have to tell you, I, I was really forced to think about an answer to that question when I read your book, uh, Trey, which was just really great. I, and I have to agree with Dana Perino. It's the the best, I'll call it the best self-help book <laughs> I think I've ever read because of how practical it is. Um, read by two people who don't need any help. That's the thing that amazes me. You and Dana were doing really good before you read the book. <laughs> well, as you well know, as the author, you, you essentially break the decision-making process down to uh, stay or leave or after one term remember what was the first uh, start <laughs> whether yeah, start. yeah start start stay or leave and and um, I I'll tell you this I wish I had read that I wish you'd written that book when I was about 23 years old and I wish I'd read it then because had I done so I I probably would have had an even more successful wonderful career but I'll say so and I'll explain why um I am I think uh, you know the the world 
uh, always tells young people, well, plan and think ahead and, and map map yourself out for five years and um, always have a plan. Um, it'll make life easier for you. Well, yeah, I heard all that and I've never followed it. So uh, um, I think I'm like so many others where I um, I just let circumstances take me where they take me. And by sheer stroke of good luck and maybe some hard work, opportunities would present themselves. And in my case, I would say that if there was any secret to my success, it is working hard. And I know you know this. This It comes down to no matter where you want to go in life or no matter what plan you might have, if you set about the process of working your heart out in a selfless way in whatever it is you're doing, people will notice it. And your bosses will notice it and your colleagues and your competitors and the rest of the world will notice it. And they will want you to join with them in whatever enterprise they're doing. And I think that's the, you know, the story of my career was work hard, enjoy what you're doing, learn every day. And, and when you do, you will be forced many times to determine whether you should stay, as you've noted in your book, whether you should leave to take on another, you know, incredible learning experience. And, uh, you know, that's really, that's it for me. I never had a plan, but I knew when to stay or leave um, uh, because of opportunities given to me because I tried to work real hard. Which sounds to me, John, like a combination that you were blessed with, with a good sense of logic and good intuition um, and, you're right. Timing is a lot of life. You, you could uh, you could be the best qualified person in the world, but you're I mean, I think of all the folks in my area who were waiting on a judicial opening. They wanted to be federal judges. Right. And and there was no vacancy for 20 years. And then you, you, you know, pick out another time in history and there could be three vacancies in three months. So <laughs> timing. I mean, we want to kind of force the timing sometimes, and 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 we can't always do that. So I like your approach. Do a really good job with whatever you're doing, and you may just get noticed. Someone may notice that you're doing a really good job. So beautiful place, ladies and gentlemen, just the most idyllic setting you've got. You know, depending on the weather, if it cooperates, you can catch a glimpse of the Pacific. You can see the mountains. But even if it's cloudy, the library and the grounds and it and John, it was so well run from the moment moment I pulled up on my moped like you guys in <laughs> Dumb and Dumber until the moment y'all told me I had to leave or y'all were going to call the cops. It was so well run. So I, I hope people do for a thousand reasons, have a chance to go. And at the top of that list is seeing an exhibit that will change your life um, and remembering that uh, maybe not have been within our lifetimes. We may think, how in the world? We'd never let that happen. I am sure there were people born in the teens and 20s and 30s that also thought that could never happen on our watch, and yet it did. Yeah, you bet. Uh, do please visit the library if you were within the sound of our voice. We would love to have you. And Trey, congrats on such a terrific book. 
and a terrific career yourself. We're, the world loves watching you on Fox and listening to you. So, so. My goal was more modest, John. I wanted to shock every elementary school teacher I had. <laughs> and I did. I, I managed to avoid uh, getting uh, getting a period of incarceration. So I have shocked every teacher I ever had, and that was my goal. So I hope our paths cross again. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you for being such a good steward of an incredible asset, which is the legacy and the times of what, for many people, is the most popular president you know this is another conversation john for another day but we got a president's day coming up and i mean you can win the presidency now without even winning a majority of the popular vote but what ronald reagan did was astonishing so we'll talk about that another day john okay. highbush thank you so much for joining us yeah thank you so much trey Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.